So the idea, again, behind this pivot series is that we as a church are at a turning point. There's been a lot that has happened over the last couple of years in my life and the life of this church and everybody's lives when it comes to COVID and everything else that's gone on. And we are making some very decided changes of direction. Now, as I talked about two weeks ago, and if you did not hear the message two weeks ago, I want to challenge you to go and listen to those because they're kind of critical. I don't want to spend each week recapping the whole thing. But uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we will be changing some direction and we're pivoting on the pivot point of not only Jesus and his uh, sacrifice for us, but on the mission that he gave us. Those will be the pinpoints that hold us true to who we are as the direction of the church begins to change and we move in a new direction. And we talked a little bit about the fact that, that it, some of that is going to come about even having to do with our staffing and the way that we're organized because I believe that if our mission statement is to grow in faith, serve people together. That's one we accepted. That's the one we adopted. That's what we've said is our mission. We need to start standing behind that. And so I shared with you that, I was, um, go, that we were going to be reorganizing our staffing and, and our teams basically to meet that mission. So we will in eventually have a grow in faith team, a serve people team, and a together team. It may not be called that, the community team, I don't know, together, I've been told is a stupid word to, to have a team named after, but that's the idea. Grow in faith, serve people together, and ideally, eventually, when we can afford to, as we hire staff, I would love to have a staff person pressing each one of those things so that each one of them gets equal attention instead of us always just focusing maybe in one direction or the other. And I think as churches, we have a tendency to do that. We focus on the knowledge and the talk and the verbiage, but we don't always focus on following through with the service. We don't always follow through by being in community with each other to the degree that we're really holding each other up and supporting each other. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about how this works out in each of these teams. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit about what it means to grow in faith. And I'm going to warn you, this may not sound like one of my traditional sermons. I don't have chapter and verse today, but I believe that these concepts are biblical, and if you need to sit down with me so we can search it out together, I'd be happy to do that. Um, grow in faith, what does that mean? Um, I talked to you two weeks ago about the fact that the Grow in Faith team would basically be a group of people led, hopefully by a staff person, to build into our weekly ministry opportunities for people to grow spiritually using small groups, large groups, Bible studies, one-on-one um, -on -one mentorships, uh, um, what's the, uh, the apprenticeships, um, anything we can think of and everything we can think of. Because there can never be enough opportunities for people to be discipled as followers of Jesus. Okay, there can never be enough. And so this group will work at pulling all of that together. And, and they will also coordinate helping us build spiritual growth into our youth and children's ministries in such a way that maybe there's more commonality between the adult ministries, the youth ministries, and the children's ministries so that we're all kind of on the same page. I also alluded to the fact that we would love in the future, instead of having our youth ministry and our children's ministry being so staff-driven, we need desperately volunteers to step into that because I believe that parents need to have an active role in leading their children spiritually. Okay, I don't want to do what the schools are doing. We don't want you to give us our kids and we'll turn them out to you 18 years later messed up. Okay? That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at stuff like that. Um, we, we don't want to take them from you and give them back. We want to work with you to help them to grow in their faith in Jesus. 
We want to work with you and help you find ways, not just on Sunday morning, but in your home, that the two of you can get together and cooperate in that venture. And so that's kind of where we're headed with this team. Now, I know when, when I said the word grow in faith, some of you immediately went to a term maybe uh, or, or thinking about church growth. Now, those of you that have been in the church a few years, um, and again, I know pastors hear this stuff more than people in congregations, but over the last 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of buzz about church growth. In fact, when I was going to college way back in the you know, 1800s, I'm not quite that old. It was the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, actually. I'm going to go with early 90s. That actually sounds better. All the talk, all the scuttlebutt in my ministry classes was all about church growth. And I have racks upon racks of books from the church growth movement. And basically, this was a movement, as we kind of referred to two weeks ago, where basically it was all about just getting more people into the church, whatever you have to do. That was the beginning of the church starting to embrace um, marketing concepts and business ideas that could help draw people into our fellowships because basically people looked around and realized people, a whole generation, in fact, was leaving the church and, and the church wasn't able to do anything about it. And so these guys put their heads together and they started dreaming up all of these various things that would help people come. And you know what? Through the church growth movement, the kingdom of God has grown and it has expanded. And there's been a lot of churches that have very valuably grown from that, at least did at one time. But the problem with all of that is this, that when you're just trying to put people in the pews, that's not really the whole of the matter. And, and just attracting people to your church, as we talked about two weeks ago, isn't enough. Because if you're a church and you're doing churchy things and trying to do them professionally, then the people you're going to draw are other church people. You know, it's just the way it is. To get people from outside the church, we have to rethink things completely. And so that movement has been there. And some of you may think that, that by growth, what I'm talking about is just putting people in the pews and counting numbers and all that stuff. That's not where it's at. That's not where I'm going with this. I want you to think with me about growth versus success. Because a lot of what the church growth movement put before pastors and leaders was, this is what you need to do to succeed. You need to set a, a measurable goal out five years of how many people you want to have in your church and then do everything in your power to strive to meet that goal. And you know what? I know a lot of pastors that did crazy stuff just to get people in the church so they could meet those membership goals because that's what it's all about. And I got to tell you, that's not what it's all about. Can I confess to you that I'm one of the pastors that did something crazy to get people in the church one day? It was my first church, Defiance, Ohio. They told me we had 60 people when I went to interview there. When I showed up, I realized there was 30. Uh, there was a whole bunch of people waiting in the wings to see if the church would survive. And as soon as the new pastor showed up, they came back, which was very good. And so, you know, basically a few years into that whole thing, you know, we were having, you know, attendance ducks in the summertime. And as a young pastor, man, I was watching that attendance line like crazy because, you know, all my predecessors told me, well, uh, you got to watch the attendance and the money because the, the attendance will follow the money and the money will follow the attendance. If you watch the attendance and the money, you'll know if you're good or if you need to do something different. And every summer coming to the spring, like a Memorial Day weekend especially, our attendance would dip down and it wouldn't come back up until like September. And it drove me crazy. So you know what I did? I challenged the people. I said, if we can have more than 100 people in average attendance for the month of May, I will let you all duct tape me to a wall. And the older people in the church looked at me and said, we have no desire to duct tape you to a wall. I said, okay, I'll let the youth group duct tape me to a wall. 
The older people said, we'll watch that. That's, that sounds like fun. We'll, we'll, yeah, let's do that. So anyway, so we're marching through the month of May. And, you know, attendance is up, attendance is down, attendance is here, attendance is there, and I'm watching the average, you know, watching it. I got this spreadsheet all late. I became a master at spreadsheets just so I could track the attendance. It was ridiculous. So I'm watching the attendance, and on the last Sunday, Memorial Day, we'd had a couple down Sundays, so, but we had 110 people in worship on Memorial Day weekend. Those of you that grew up in the church know that doesn't happen. Everybody goes camping Memorial Day weekend. We had 110 people there on Memorial Day weekend. We thought we missed it by one person because of the average, because we'd had a down week earlier on. And so we're, you know, we're going through, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I'm like, how does this, you know, how does this happen? What happened? And I'm looking at my spreadsheet, and it's there. And my wife came into me, and she said, you know you made it, right? Because I told her we're, we're off by one person. If we'd had one more person here, we would have made it. And trust me, I did the decimal thing. I went way out to the decimal points to see if we could somehow round up. And she, I said, we, had, we needed one more person to make it happen. She said, well, you know, so-and-so is pregnant. Can you count unborn babies? I know pastors that count shoes. I, you know, I, I'm like, that's a person. We believe it. That's life. It's in the womb. We made it. And so I went into the, the congregation, and I said this the next Sunday. I said, well... Here's the bad news. I mean, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is we had 110 people here at church last week. And that was one short of what we needed. And everybody went, oh. And I said, do you realize what you just did? You just went, oh, that we had 110 people on a Memorial Day Sunday. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah. I said, but there was somebody we didn't count. And it was, am I, I, I forget now if I was even allowed to tell them she was pregnant. But I did. I told them, and I think everybody already knew. But anyway, so anyway, they all clapped and cheered and jeered, and, and basically they took me in the gym later that night or whenever we scheduled it, and I stood on a bucket, and the youth group duct taped me to the wall of our gymnasium, and it was so much fun. And I literally stood there on the bucket, you know, and I held myself up, and, and they duct taped me, and, and, you know, I was kind of holding myself up. I could feel the duct tape pulling away, and I'm like, well, I don't want to drop too quick. I don't want to depress anybody, you know. And, and so pretty soon, all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I felt it going, so I just pulled down, and it felt, it was great. It was awesome. We made our goal, and it was wonderful. Years later, years later, this is what happened. One of my sons, who was like two years old at the time, said this to our youth leader or somebody about our youth leader, he said, don't make so-and-so mad at you, he'll duct tape you to a wall. That poor child that whole time thought that I had made the youth leader mad, and that's why they duct taped me to a wall. Stupid story. Anyway, some of the ridiculous things we would do. But listen, um, we're not about that. We, we need to understand that there's a difference between growth and success. What we're striving for is growth. You can have successes along the way, but what the church needs is continued growth. I want to very quickly explain a concept to you, and I need to save some time toward the end of our service um, because we have something else that we need to do as well. But I want to explain to you, um, there was a, a video that I saw recently, and a man was talking about his book, and he, was, he had written this book on the difference between finite and infinite systems, okay? Finite and infinite, and he used the example of games, he used the example, first of all, of, of like board games. And, and the board game that he chose was, um, I don't even remember, it was Monopoly or something like that. I hate Monopoly. If you like Monopoly, Monopoly is not of God. I'm sorry. It's just no game should take that long just so you can lose to your kids. Okay, that might be a little too personal. But anyway, I chose Battleship. How many of you have ever played Battleship? Battleship's the best game ever because it has toys inside. When I was a kid, I would always run for Battleship. And because of that, 
Our battleship game never had any of the pieces there. They were always scattered through the house. Battleship's a great game. But battleship is what we call a finite game. Now, put your thinking caps on with me. This gets a little heady here. It's a finite game because when you play the game of battleship, you have a defined starting point and ending point to the game. There's a defined number of players. There's a person who's on this side and a person who's on this side. You have rules that everybody knows and understands. So when you begin the game of battleship, you know how to win the game. The game is won by the person who by calling out numbers and letters finds and sinks the other person's battle or ships who are exactly like yours and not diagonal, unless the person's cheating, which I have seen. So it's very well defined. It's a finite game. You know when the game begins, you know what the rules are, and you know when the games end, and there is a clearly defined winner and loser. I like finite games. I don't like things that end in a tie. I just don't like it. Play it all until somebody wins. That's a finite game. Now, there are other games out there that are infinite games, games that don't necessarily have as clearly defined um, uh, rules and regulations and even the players. There are games, for instance, uh, the one that came to my mind this morning was actually one that my kids play, and it's, um, oh man, what, M Minecraft, yeah. Minecraft is this computer game that the kids play, and they basically go into this virtual world, and they mine stuff, and they build stuff, and they kill zombies, and they run away from zombies, and they kill wolves, and they run away from wolves, and they butcher animals. It sounds terrifying, doesn't it? It's horrible, but it's all like really blocky and stuff, so it's not like actual bad graphics. Anyway, they play this game, and so I'm asking them, how do you win? Well, you, you, I mean, you stay alive. Yeah, but how do you win? Well, you build bigger houses, you get more stuff, you, you store up all these animals, you, you can raise sheep, you can, you know, um, tame wolves, apparently. You can do all this. How do you win? Well, I mean, as long as you're in the game still playing, you're winning. That was their answer. And you know what? That's an infinite game. A finite game is a game where there's a clearly defined winner and loser and a point and a, and a goal that you set. An infinite game is one that isn't so clear, and it continues. An infinite game is a game that you win simply by staying in the game. Now, as this person was doing his talk, he also referred to some of the wars that America has fought as being a similar concept. Because the problem with war is sometimes one side is playing a finite game and the other side is playing an infinite game. And he pointed to examples like the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And I think more appropriately, um, our war in Afghanistan falls into this category. Because we go into these wars as a country thinking that we're playing a finite game. That if we destroy this much of the enemy's hardware, if we kill this many of the enemy's soldiers, if we destroy this many of their cities, then they will surrender, the war will be over, and everybody will go about their business, and we will have won. The problem with all three of those conflicts that I mentioned was that we were fighting an enemy that wasn't playing by those rules. They didn't believe that the game would ever end or the war would ever end. And so when America got tired of fighting this infinite war and pulled out, guess what happened? They kept on fighting, and we lost because we stopped playing. It was an infinite game. In America, we thought we were in a finite war because the wars we had fought in the world wars and such, those essentially were. They came to an abrupt conclusion. One side clearly won and the other lost. But in these other skirmishes, that didn't happen. 
So you see, it, it really causes a problem if you think you're doing something in a finite way, but what you're actually doing is being infinite. Here's how this applies to the church. I know, you're like, get on with it, Pastor. We, you know, it's almost time. This is how this applies to the church. A lot of people believe that the mission of the church is a finite game. That we can achieve certain things and we will have won the war or, or won the mission or completed the mission. And that's where we find these metrics that everybody measures coming into play. The metrics of attendance, for instance. When, when we get more people in the pews, we feel like we've won and therefore that, that stops the, the, the game. You know, we're, we're done, we're finished, we're over. The problem is it isn't over, is it? What about the metric of money? You know, they always say, watch the money. You know, well, as long as people are giving, we're winning. So if we get to the budget to this particular level, then we will have, have achieved what we wanted to achieve. We will have won, and we're, we're now in good shape. But the problem is the ministry goes forward. What about even the metric of getting souls saved? And, and that certainly is probably the best metric of any that we could ever measure because every time a person is saved, every time they kneel at an altar or kneel at a pew or sit in a pew and, and ask Jesus to come into their heart and pray that prayer of salvation, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice. It's okay, I know that they're here. They're supposed to be. It's all right. Did you hear me? When someone gets saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. You know who else should rejoice? We should. we should, absolutely. Duh, yeah. What about baptisms? Man, we ought to be cheering like we're at the, not the Lions game, like the New, York, like the New England Patriots game. We ought to be cheering like Tom Brady's playing or something. I don't know. When somebody gets baptized, we measure these metrics and we set goals for ourselves because that's how our minds can comprehend it. But the problem is when we reach our goals, that doesn't mean the game is over. The mission that Jesus gave us is not a finite mission. It's an infinite mission. It's one that continues until the day that Jesus returns. And because we don't know when that is, we keep on fighting. Do you get it? You see, as a church in the past, We've tended to be more finite in our thinking if we could just get over this hurdle. But friends, it's high time that the church started thinking more in an infinite way because getting someone to a pew is not the end of their Christian journey. It's only the beginning. Do you hear me? Getting someone to this altar when they accept Jesus into their heart, though a glorious moment, it is not the end of the church's responsibility to them. It's only the beginning. Once they receive Jesus, then the church should go to work, discipling them, helping them, building them up in their faith, and helping them to grow in faith so that they don't end up falling away from that faith. It's very much like a small child growing up. And I have Hudson, my grandson now, to remind me of what it was like to be a parent of a small child. It is insanity. They, they reach milestones like once a day. I remember when Hudson couldn't roll over and then he rolled over. I remember when Hudson couldn't crawl and then he crawled. I remember when Hudson couldn't walk. Well, he actually didn't walk. He stood up first and crawled on top of stuff first and fell off of it. But then he walked and it wasn't long after he walked that he literally runs everywhere. He grows just like every human being grows. And you know what? Someone who is born into the kingdom of God also needs to grow. If, if a new baby was born and the parents just said, wow, you were born, thank the Lord. What a wonderful thing. You've reached it. You're, you've been born. And they just left him in the crib and walked away. What would happen? The child would shrivel and die. 
And friends, that's what's happening in our churches with people who are born into the kingdom. We're leaving them set instead of parenting them, instead of bringing them along, helping them to know how to walk with Jesus. And because of that, we're losing people. I I love to hear about churches. Yeah, we had 12 people get saved. My question is always this, where are they now? Are they still there? Are they being discipled? Are you walking beside them or did you just turn them loose? I mean, Hudson experiences all kinds of little victories, you know. If, if when he started walking, if his parents said, oh, that's a great victory, Hudson, that's good. You've arrived, that's all we need to teach you. Imagine the trouble that boy would get in if they turned him loose at that point. I mean, Hudson will grow and he will learn and he will become, hopefully, a responsible adult someday. But along the way, there's going to be some failures and there's going to be some successes because it's an infinite game growing up. The church needs to see every person that comes into our fellowship as an infinite possibility and step alongside of them and help them to grow. So as we talk about growing in faith, friends, I want you not to think so much about how many people we get, although we love having people, don't get me wrong. And if you want to give, you're more than welcome to give. We love that too because it helps us. But I want you to think more about our mission and our goal as We need to help each person that comes to our fellowship grow in their faith instead of just arrive. And we're going to work very hard to put together a team that will lead us in that process as we go forward. As we do that, here's what I need you to know. I need you to know that many of you have what we're looking for. In fact, this morning during first service, a little bit more than now, I I felt people kind of looking at me like, Pastor, you're preaching to the choir. You know, most of us have been saved longer than you've been alive. You know, there's a lot I could learn from them as opposed to this. And and basically my comment to that is, is exactly, that's exactly it. And we need you and the experiences you have and the things that you've learned to step in and walk beside younger believers to help them to become adult Christians to help them to grow up in their faith and learn how to feed themselves and, and walk in, in faith as, as um, you do and, and just learn things from your mistakes even that they can learn. Friends, it's going to be a, a challenge to change our mindset, but I believe that we can do it, and I believe that if we do, this church will start making disciples that will then in turn make other disciples And we will see the kingdom of God grow by multiplication. And you know what? If some of them end up staying here, praise be to God. If they end up going to other churches and blessing them, praise be to God. Our job is to grow in faith. Pray with me for just a minute, and then I'll tell you why all these wonderful kids are in here. Dear Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come together today. This thinking isn't new according to Scripture, but it might be new to some of the folks here. Maybe some of them haven't really thought about it. Maybe they're here today for the first time just going, yeah, I just heard you had music and I wanted to listen. That's okay. That's great. But Lord, going forward, I pray that you would help us as a church to recognize that we exist for a purpose, and that purpose is an infinite purpose, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, yes, but also teaching them to observe all that Christ taught. Help us not to to consider ourselves done when we see someone come into the kingdom. 
Help us to see that as a starting point, an opportunity to stand beside them and walk with them and encourage them and disciple them so that they can learn how to be grown-up Christians as they walk through their, their, their spiritual life. Father, I pray that you would help us not to leave anyone behind and to see it as our mission to help every person that you bring us to grow in faith. And if there are those here this morning that are feeling that pull, like they'd, they'd like to be discipled or they'd like to be in a relationship where they can be sharpened by another person spiritually. I pray that you would give them the courage to step forward and, and to say something and come and talk to me or Pastor Brian and, or, or Pastor Pat and, and, and just allow them to have the, the courage to say, I, I'd like to get into one of these relationships if I could so that we can get them started on the right track. God, we give you praise for all that you're going to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen.